Welcome back. It's the Standing Room Only Podcast. Ben Standing here. I cover the Washington football team for the Athletic. Hope everyone's hanging in there. It's uh, The holidays are coming up. Uh, more importantly, there's a big game on Sunday. Well, I shouldn't say more important than the holidays. Scratch, scratch that notion. But relative pertinent to this situation, there's a big game coming up this week. The first place Washington football team facing Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. Who would have thunk that this game would be important in terms of making the playoffs? But that is the case. Uh, we've got a jam-packed episode here. Two guests, uh, locally Al Galdi from the Team 980. Uh, we we got into, uh, Al and I talked a little bit, I'm talking to you guys Wednesday night. Al and I talked earlier today before the team practice and before we heard from Ron Rivera. But we got into kind of where things stand Um with these guys, got in, got into some thoughts on from Al about the running game, some numbers of note, and kind of where our perceptions have changed about this team during this streak, specifically in relation to the 2021, like what are needs, things like that. And speaking of that, I wrote about that exact topic on the Athletics. You can go check that out there. Uh, guest number two for the Seattle perspective, uh, Sean Michael, or sorry, Mike. I knew I was going to botch that. Mike, Michael, Sean Dugar, our Seahawks writer for The Athletic, at Mike Dugar on Twitter. We just had a fun, lengthy chat, did our my usual thing with, with guests from The Athletic, back and forth, a bunch of different questions on Russell Wilson, whether Seattle's re- recent defensive surge is real, and a topic that we got into today where the local reporters talked to Seattle coach Pete Carroll about the coach the coach centered approach that Ron Rivera is looking to do here he cited Pete Carroll as somebody that he wanted to follow that model so we got to talk so I got to get uh Mike's perspective on that and then of course he asked me a bunch of questions about the team including about Alex Smith Terry McLaurin and more so a fun conversation all the way around excited to get that for you guys um of course you know the deal you follow the podcast on Stitcher iTunes Spotify all that fun stuff if you're an iTunes person Always appreciate it if you have a chance to to leave a review and a rating. Um, subscribe to The Athletic. That's how I get paid. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make that as blunt as possible. And if you want to hit me up on Twitter, of course, at Ben Standing. Uh, these conversations went long, so let me just do a couple quick things here with regards to the football team. Again, I'm talking to you guys on a Wednesday night. The quarterback situation, Alex Smith didn't practice today with his calf injury. He was very cautious about saying too much, and, and that's not surprising based on Alex Smith. Ron Rivera didn't say too much either about his availability. If you make me guess right now, I'm going to guess that Alex Smith plays on Sunday, but that's just a, a guess. It sounds like things weren't too bad, but it, it was it was something that he felt, the injury was something he felt leading up to the San Francisco game, and then once he got into the game, things uh, escalated the wrong way during the game. So we'll see how that goes for now. Dwayne Haskins is getting the first team reps. That's obviously interesting in and of itself. And, and we'll have to see how that progresses. We'll, we'll, you know, by Friday, I'm guessing we'll have a decent sense, but who knows for sure on the running back front, Antonio Gibson, not only is, did he not practice today with a toe injury, Washington grabbed another running back. They signed Lamar Miller off the bears practice squad a source confirmed that to me this is after yesterday another a source also told me that Washington put in a claim for running back Dontrell Hilliard who was waived by the Browns but the Texans put him in that's two that's some fairly aggressive maneuvering by Washington 
just to get some help. You already have two running backs on the practice squad. Javon Leak was at, was up last week. But I think clearly this signals to me that, one, Gibson is likely out not just this week, but next week as well, or at least there's a decent chance he's out next week. And that even though J.D. McKissick did some good things last week, they do need some more options to run, uh, especially on early downs. Peyton Barber has been fine in short yardage situations, but, you know, he's left a little bit to be desired on, on sort of standard options. Now, Lamar Miller cannot go, will not be available this week. He's got to p- pass six, uh, six days worth of COVID tests. So if, he, if that goes well, then the move becomes official and he would be available next week. But that's for next week. So we'll, we'll see how they get by this week against Seattle. Those are sort of the headlines of the week. You know, obviously follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig uh, for what's the latest going on. But let's get to it. Like I said, uh, a, a two really, I really enjoy these interviews. I enjoy all my interviews, but these I thought were really good. Uh, we'll start off with my guy Al Galdi from the Team 980, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get the Seattle side of things with Michael Sean Dugar here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. This is uh, one of those times where I feel very self-conscious about what I'm doing here, trying to be the host of a show, because the guy on the other end of this conversation is one of the go-to uh, radio voices in town. He is, of course, Al Galdi from the Team 980. I, I get the I, we get the flip roles here. Uh, <laughs> so uh, don't you know? Feel free to criticize uh, my, my my hosting duties, or, or offer maybe not criticize. Offer tips throughout throughout the throughout the conversation. I'll, I'll take it. No, I, I got I got no tips, man. For all the times you've come on my show, the least I can do is come on your podcast. So I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to get you on before. Obviously, everybody's got got a lot, a lot of stuff going on. We're talking right now Wednesday. There's snow outside. Um, not at practice today because when the team practices indoors, there's no media access. But we'll talk to Ron Rivera in a little bit and get some updates on Alex Smith. I'm going to guess, well, they basically said he's not practicing, not not a shock, or at least, at least not in the open part of practice. Same with Antonio Gibson, not a shock, but there's a lot to get to regardless of what we know or don't know, uh, because this team's in first place and they're playing the Seattle Seahawks. Um, we'll come back to that part in a second. I just put up a story up on The Athletic that by the time you hear this, you, you may, maybe have read, or if you haven't, you know, go click it. Uh, and that is basically... What's changed with this team since this surge has started? They've won four in a row. And, you know, five weeks ago, what were we all discussing? What are they going to do in the draft? You know, who's the quarterback of the future? These kinds of things. And now a lot's changed, I think, in terms of how we're viewing this team, not just in terms of the rest of the season, but moving forward. That could be in terms of what they what what, what needs are, are there. Uh, does this team has, – has this team already shown that, hey, maybe the window for contention – effectively now as in the off season, you know, maybe it's even this year, but they're still six and seven. <laughs> I won't go too crazy, but I'm just curious. So then for you, I laid out my thoughts. What for you is sort of the thing that has maybe changed the most in terms of the big picture with this thing going forward based on what's happened here in the last uh, few weeks? Well, the biggest thing is the quarterback situation where I know I've definitely altered my feeling on Alex Smith moving forward. And that is that, Whereas, say, two, three months ago, I really wasn't that open to him being back next year. I'd say I am open to that now. Uh, I think the rest of the season does matter. So I'm not one of these people who says, like, he's back for sure. Like, let's see how the rest of the season goes. But seeing how he's been able to play at, you know, let's say a competent level, seeing how this team genuinely likes him and responds to him and seeing how this team wins with him. And I'm usually not a big believer in, 
assigning wins to quarterbacks and you go by their records, but it's very hard to ignore. They're 10 and five with him. They're six and 24 without him in terms of his, him as a starting quarterback over the last three years. Like, I don't think you can just dismiss that. You don't, you don't have to like worship it, but it's hard to ignore something like that. So I'd say probably the Alex thing is the biggest thing, but I think the, another thing would be this, and it's just the extent to which the defense is better. And I, I don't think we can minimize that. It's one thing to think the defense is going to be much improved this season. It's another thing to actually see it. I think we're seeing it in front of us that we have a special unit, a unit that in theory could be the league's best next year. And so to have a commodity that precious and that rare, I mean, it's been so long since Washington had what you would truly call like a top five defense in the NFL. I think you got to go back to the Greg Williams years. And this defense may be better than any of those Greg Williams defenses because those Greg Williams defenses were good, but they did not wreak havoc like this defense does. Like those were not great defenses when it came to sacking quarterbacks. Those were not great takeaway defenses. I mean, we had two defensive touchdowns this past Sunday against San Francisco. That's not something Greg's defenses did on the regular. So I think that too, just having this great of a defense, how you take it from being what it is now to maybe even being better and trying to capitalize on having something special like that. Cause like I said, it's just been so long since Washington had anything like that. Yeah. I, I think those are two very good, very good takes. And I do think on some level they connect to, to, to on the Alex point, you mentioned the idea of not a lock necessarily that he, that he's back. I think it's worth noting that Ron Rivera has said multiple times when discussing what the quarterback plan for the future is, he, he has, he hasn't just simply said, we have to figure out what we want to do. He says, he's also said, we have to figure out what Alex wants to do. And based on yeah. my sense of, the, of what's going on over there, I think that is a big unknown. And he's, I mean, give Alex Smith this credit for this. He is very focused on one step at a time. I think he was like that before his, his, uh, his injury, but it feels like it's even more of that now. He's not somebody who's going to look ahead because for him, ahead was, has been the last, the next minute, the next day for the last year and change. So when, when asked about, and I did ask him this a couple weeks ago, like, has he thought about the future? He said, well, look, it pops in your brain, but I have to then refocus and get back to where I'm at now. And I think it is a big question as to, do, you know, how much does he want to go through this again? Now, maybe, maybe it's like, of course he does. Who, who He's done all this work to get back. Maybe it's obvious he is, but I, I don't know if it is obvious. I'm with you though. At this point, if he says I want back in and barring the unforeseen in the last three weeks, I think he's the starting quarterback next year. And then the question becomes, how do they address the long-term plan? And I would imagine they decide, well, Kyle Allen's only 25 years old, but they're going into next season. They roll back, they roll it back that way and don't spend a first round pick or a second round pick on a quarterback in part because of what you also just said. The defense right now looks really good. And let's not forget Landon Collins is out. Uh, you know, there, there's still questions at linebacker. If they use that first or second round pick on a linebacker and maybe use another top pick on a corner and Landon Collins comes back and is whatever, and they've now uncovered, you know, they're bringing back everybody on the defensive line. Who's to say that this, this defense combined with more pieces on offense in, and maybe a not normal offseason, if that's even conceivable, who knows where this goes? So I do think that that part has changed to me that, like you said, it's gone from, I don't want to say the future is now to, uh, to, to borrow a phrase or to uh, read off the book, the book that I'm holding in front of Al that's in front of me. Uh, that. <laughs> but uh, I got to actually read that one day. I just like the whole, I just have to have it to show that I'm old. Um, but, but I, yeah, I do agree. I think both of those things are connected in, 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 in where, um, 
in where this thing goes. Um, I, I feel like I have to ask, since we're playing the quarterback game, Dwayne Haskins did play the second half of, uh, against San Francisco. He was on the field when they won the game. Did you see anything that makes you, that change your opinion on his future? Uh, no, not really. Um, well, I what think was your, we saw what was your opinion of before? I guess, yeah, I guess I don't know what your opinion, I think I know, but what's your actual opinion on his future then? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he was done here with that benching and demotion. You know, I thought maybe he would play at some point the rest of the year. I mean, like, you never know, but I, I really felt like they were done with him. I, I think Ron was really mad at Dwayne. I think this preparation stuff was the primary reason for the benching. I think the play didn't help. You know, I think Ron looked at it as you're not putting in the time. You're not doing the things you're supposed to do, even though you have a model right in front of you named Alex Smith, who's like literally showing you how to do it. And you're not even playing that well. Like he wasn't a disaster over the first four games, but he definitely, you can't say like he played at a high level or anything like that. So I, I, and, and when you combine that with the leaks and just the way Ron was talking about Dwayne, it just felt like they were done with him. I think, look, if Alex doesn't start against Seattle and Dwayne starts and plays well and they win, then maybe things change. Like, I mean, I guess it could happen, but if you're just going off the second half of that game against the 49ers, I mean, I didn't see anything that special. He made some good throws. He had a couple of Logan Thomas, uh, but I was not, you know, to me, there was still that inaccuracy. You know, it was weird that uh, game, that, that last drive for Washington where they're just kneeling out the clock. I don't know if this is on Dwayne or not. That was not a smooth drive. Like, they looked kind of out of sorts. They had that delayed game penalty. There was that shot on the telecast of Chase Young, like, basically saying, like, what's going on here? So I, I don't know if there's still, like, a lack of command of the offense. I think it'd be a great story if somehow Dwayne starts a game or two down the stretch here, Washington wins those games, and maybe you can rethink things. But I think chances are Dwayne's gone. I think Kyle Allen's certainly back. He's an exclusive rights-free agent. Those guys almost always get resigned. And then, you know, with Alex, and I think you raise a good point, Ron has brought up this issue of retirement, which, you know, knowing what we know about Alex, right, you'd be like, wow, he battled all the way to come back, and now he's going to retire. But this would be kind of a perfect way to do it, where he comes back, he proves he can still do it. He wins comeback player of the year. And then he walks off into the sunset. Like there, there would be something kind of poetic about that. Um, and, they win, and they win the division. He's actually and they win the division. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause after yeah. that, after that Rams game, which I think a lot of us thought, well, he got back on the field, but <laughs> we don't need to see anymore. And I remember half joking, half serious. Like I was actually debating an idea in my head. Could I pitch, could I find some Hollywood screenwriters to tell me how they could Hollywoodize that, finish so it's not just about him getting out of the field and it not going well well we don't have to we, no need for a script doctor it's already happening at this point yeah. i mean you can you could end this at any point even if they don't make the playoffs he's done plenty to have the the feel-good story so yeah he could walk away easily if that's what he wants to do but at the same point he's shown enough to to to, to do it i do wonder on some level if you're washington you know, if you don't draft a quarterback this year, now granted, if they win the division, they're picking say around 19 or 20, as opposed to picking in the top 10. I think right now the Giants are 10th or 9th or 10th, somewhere around there. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's kind of the difference. And at nine or 10, you could still possibly get one of the top three or four quarterbacks projected to come out. So there is a big difference there. And I do wonder if you wait, you know, is that sort of setting things back long-term because is it wise to sort of throw in on the 37 year old quarterback coming off, you know, 17 surgeries on the right leg, all that. But so it's a really interesting uh, conversation. And I suspect how they view Kyle Allen, which seems to be very favorable, 
goes a long way towards thinking, do they actually have to get a future guy or do they think they maybe sort of kind of already have it um, with, uh, with, with, with him? Um, let, me, let me ask you this other question. Um, one thing I wrote about in the story was, um, you know, I wrote last week, The Athletic, we did a whole series across the, across the company about uh, myth. It was like a take on the myth busters, I guess. And one of the questions was basically, do you pay Brandon Scherf a long-term extension if we're talking about money in the range of where he's at now for this year on the tag of like 15 million. You know, it's a lot of money for a guard, but he's obviously one of the better ones in the league and they already lost Trent Williams. So you can't keep taking pieces away. But the guy on the line who's not getting the attention on that front is Chase Ruye. He's, yeah. he's having a great year according to pro football focus. You take, take their rankings for what they are. He's like the fifth best center this year in the NFL. Um, and you know, look, he's been incredibly durable. He is, uh, he's, he's doing a good job both in the run game and the pass game. He's also a free agent according to, to, is it spot track or spot track? I never know how to say it. I've heard it both ways. So I, I, I think I say spot rack, but I'm not okay. sure that that's the way you say it. But they <laughs> need to come up with a, a widely accepted pronunciation for that site. Yeah, it is. Over the cap is much easier. Yeah. Um, yeah. In any event, spot rack, um, they, they have a projection for Chase, Chase Ruiz based on, you know, other deals out there of something like nine and a half, $10 million a year, with like a, with like a four or three or four year deal. So, so here's my question for you. I know it's not necessarily an either or, but I'll make it just for fun. This is like a radio question, I guess. Right. Yeah. You can only pick right. one guy to keep Brandon Scherf again, somewhere in the 14 to $15 million per year range. That's just where he's at right now for four years or Chase Ruye in the nine and a half to $10 million range for four years what do you, what do you got so if those are the price points i'm going ruye um ruye's been much more durable than sheriff i don't know that ruye has at his best been as good as sheriff has been at his best but i just cannot ignore that brandon sheriff over the last three years has missed the equivalent of a full season uh he's had a hard time staying healthy it's not his fault like it doesn't mean he's soft it's just he's had a hard time staying healthy like some guys are more injury prone than others I don't think the question with Sheriff has ever been is he good no he's good uh you know I'm not quite sure I mean he wants top of the market money is he like the best guard in the NFL I don't know about that is he a top 10 guard yeah is he at times maybe top five yeah I don't know if you could say that about Ruye but he wants to be paid at the same AAV as the best guards out there and if you look at the best guards out there in terms of money, they're all durable. They're all these guys who never miss time. Like, that's a big part of that position. And he just misses a lot of time. So I would just be really reluctant to give him that kind of money, especially, too. And I know offensive linemen can play well deep into their careers. But Brandon Sheriff is very old for his draft class. I feel like this sometimes gets overlooked. He and Landon Collins were both taken in the 2015 draft. Collins is like three years younger than Sheriff. Sheriff's almost 30 already. So you have to wonder about that. He's, in, he's got an injury history. He's going into his 30s. Do you really want to be paying a guy like that 15, 16 million a year? Now, if his asking price comes down, I'm more than open to re-signing Sheriff. But if it's an either-or proposition, uh, I'll take Ruye. He's been durable. I think you're right. I think he's been underrated. And I think that's the better buy, a durable chase Ruye at 10 million a year versus a guy in Sheriff who can play at a high level, but has a hard time staying healthy at, uh, you know, 15 million a year. And one, one thing I got into in the piece, and I'll sort of, won't step on my, my story further, but like, based on what's happened, again, this is the idea of what's changed 
over these last few weeks. Wes Schweitzer has done obviously a pretty solid job at left guard, which means they can feel good about that. And if they did move on from from Sheriff, you know, I guess there's a debate. I'll let John Masco determine if Schweitzer can handle the left or the right. But you also have Sadiq Charles, who they remain high on. Yeah. Despite barely playing this year. But I think Sadiq Charles could be in the mix for left tackle. And if that's the case, they don't even necessarily have to address that position this offseason because Cornelius Lucas uh, has done a, has done a solid job, at, you know, as a, a you know if needed and so on. So they actually have some options if Sheriff were to go versus with at center. Yeah, you know, they drafted Keith Ismail and seems like he's could be interested, but he hasn't played, so that's a harder to gauge. They, they'll have a sense based on practice, but we don't know that from the outside. So it's interesting for for that for sure. Uh, I'll just also say I, I have some thoughts about Jonathan Allen's um, possible extension as well in the piece you can read on the. Uh, on the athletic. All right, we're here with uh, my guy Al Galdi from the Team 980, uh, Washington, Seattle, big game coming up on Sunday. You are a man about town, a man about the numbers, a man all over the burgundy and gold. What's the thing for you? I'm, I'm sure I know you've looked at these numbers left, right, and center at this point. What is there a stat, a number, something in the analytic side of your brain that keeps standing out in terms of what's key for this game? Well, I think there are a lot of things you can look at. One of the sneaky things I think to consider is this. So Seattle's defense has had major issues at times this year. It's been better lately. Uh, I think the opposition has had something to do with that. You know, Seattle's played Philadelphia, the Giants, the Jets lately. So I think it's part of why the defensive numbers have gotten better. But Washington, like rather sneakily, has actually had one of the more <laughs> efficient rushing offenses in the NFL this year. It, it's it, like I think if you just ask people – it, does Washington have a very good run game? You'd say, eh, not really. The truth is it's actually been a top half of the NFL rushing attack this year. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of advanced stuff that kind of speaks to that. Not to, you know, bore everybody, but uh, DVOA, Washington is 13th in the NFL in rushing offense. Uh, power success rate, which is basically short yardage situations. Washington is 11th in the NFL in that. They, I, I think they've been very good at that this year. I think Peyton Barber, I don't think it's enough credit for that. I know Barber's yards per carry isn't very good, but Feels like every time he's called upon third and short, even fourth and short, uh, he comes through. He's done a good job in that regard. So they've got a rushing attack that can move the ball. I find it really encouraging that they ran the ball as well they, as they did Sunday against San Francisco, which has a good run defense without Antonio Gibson. Like, I, I, I feel like that's a part of Sunday's game that's a big deal. So I wonder if maybe Sunday is a day, especially if Alex Smith starts and is banged up, or if Dwayne Haskins starts and you want to take a burden off him where they do run the ball well. And Seattle might be that kind of defense against which you can do that. I mean, I don't think J.D. McKissick profiles that classic, you know, 30 carries in a game type back, but <laughs> right. the guy's good. I mean, it feels like every time he gets substantial carries, he averages like five, six yards. I mean, we saw that this past Sunday. He had two 17-yard carries on the same drive this past Sunday. So he can run. Their offensive line, we were just talking about it, I think has done a very nice job run blocking this season. Sheriff's having a good year. Moses is having a good year. Like you said, Rouillet's having a good year. So I think there's reason to believe Washington could actually end up running the ball quite well on Sunday. I'm anxious to see that. Yeah, I mean, McKissick has definitely been one of the big surprises of the year. I mean, uh, you know, as somebody who was able to see him in training camp, um, you know, obviously no preseason, like you could tell that there was this was something that could work, but to the extent that it has – you know, and it's also, it's one thing to sort of work, oh, you're the, you're the third down back, you catch a pass or two sometimes, whatever. But like to have a guy who's 
I won't say the focal point of the offense, but to be the lead running back and be at least efficient. He's not, <laughs> we're, not we're not we're not saying he's Barry Sanders, but like, you know, he's been he's been good. And and uh, you know, knock on wood, he's been he's been durable so far. So, you know, it, it's a good sign there for sure. I will say that in terms of Gibson, we'll obviously we'll hear more from Ron Rivera by the time you you hear this, but like I I, I was told that Washington put a claim in on Dontrell Hillman, uh, no Hilliard, sorry, a running back the Cleveland wave this week that got the Texans grabbed instead. And, and that, that says to me, if you're looking to pick up a running back for the roster, right? That, 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 that puts some serious question into Gibson this week, which not surprising because turf toe is ultimately often a multi-week issue. We'll see what happens, but without him, it, it, it is, it is hard to, you know, look, they, they did it last week against San Francisco, but, but here's a, here's sort of a different question. Look, I like everybody else. I'm, I'm buying that this team is good. The, the, things have changed. It's a different world, but, here are the things that are broken right for Washington during this winning streak. They get, they're getting rolled by Cincinnati's offense in the first half. Then Joe Burrow gets hurt. He's out for the game. Uh, unfortunately out for the season and Washington pulls away in the second half to win that one. Next week they face Dallas, the Cowboys, two of their starting offensive linemen go down in the first drive. They already were missing guys. And then, you know, they, uh, I'm not even going to factor in the Mike McCarthy aspect of that, but just off of that, it felt like Washington was gaining an advantage. And then it kind of went from there. Pittsburgh, obviously the Steelers had just dealt with, with all the COVID-related uh, delays from the, from the previous week. And they were missing their starting center, their starting running back. And Washington's defense, uh, you know, really held up there. And then you have last week where San Francisco all this year is already missing a bunch of guys from injury. Oh, and then, by the way, the game's not even going to be at, in their home. They got to go They got to go play at a neutral site, which means for, for the 49ers, it's messing with their day-to-day existence is this I mean, so maybe 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 if there's no data anymore this team is good but is this the game where it feels like okay there's no, there's no I can't I can't run off all the things I just said per se everything looks like we'll have a much better sense even now as to where Washington stands against a Seattle team that is arguably you know one of the top two or three in the conference we have Russell Wilson you mentioned their defense is improving this is a team that's won big games over the years is this is it sort of fair to say this is maybe finally the game where there's no more weird stuff happening that we'll get a sense of where Washington really is at? I think you could say that. I mean, I, I don't really discount the Pittsburgh win. I, I think that was a huge win. I mean, sure. facing a great defense and a Hall of Fame bound quarterback and a pretty good receiving core, although we saw a lot of drops in that game. I mean, they, they were without Pouncey, their center. We're without Connor, their running back. So I guess you could say that. But everybody's dealing with people not playing. I mean, Washington was without Gibson for most of that game and yet scored 20 points in the second half on the road against the best defense in the NFL. So I think the Steelers game was more that. But I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you like this, I guess. If you can have success against maybe the best quarterback receiver combo in the league this year, right? Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf. I mean, it's been like, you know, superhuman, some of the things they've done. I think that's another reason to buy into this defense. You know, see, I know Seattle did get handled pretty capably by the Giants a few weeks back. That is true. But, I mean, Wilson is, is what, a top three, top five quarterback. Metcalf may well be a top three, top five receiver. Chris Carson, and I know you know fantasy football really well. I mean, he, he never seems to get his due. The guys, he, this is a seventh-round pick from 2017 who's been a monster over the last three years. He's missed some time this year, but he's averaging more than five yards a carry. So, I, I think, that, like, I, I mean, at some point with this defense, especially, it's like 
how, how many more tests do they need to pass? If they do a good job against this offense and this quarterback, uh, I think to your point, it's time to feel good. Look, I think with Washington, they are definitely nits to pick. I mean, I, you know, the, 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 you, you could argue that they've only beaten one truly good team this year. They certainly have only beaten one team with a winning record this year. San Francisco win was very good, but, you know, I know the Niners are ultra banged up this season. It's, it's a flawed team. Like, they don't throw the football very well compared to other teams. Um, so there are things not to be in love with. But you don't have to, to me, apologize for that. If you look at some of the recent Washington playoff seasons, a lot of them have come in years where the division was down or where the schedule was soft. 2015, I think, is an example of that. The 99 season where they won the NFC East was an example of that. So, you know, just accumulate wins. And, and I guess we can kind of dissect everything at the end of the year. But to answer your question, this defense, if it gets a job done against this offense, I think that's another sort of, you know, notch on the belt there where you're just like, all right, like what else do they need to do here for people to really believe that this unit is truly one of the better ones in the league this year? Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So we're, we're in the final minutes here with, with the very patient Al Galdi uh, from the team 980. Uh, I'm, I'm diving into some random questions for, for Mr. Galdi. He, he gets to ask me one as well when I tell him. Oh, I can't right. wait for this. <laughs> all right. Uh, you are an active person on Twitter. Who is the person on Twitter that you wish followed you that doesn't? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, let's see. I don't think Ron Rivera follows me. So I got I got to see if I can change that. Although I, I don't know if that would make me be less likely to be critical. So maybe it's good that he doesn't, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't. So I guess I would throw, I would say Ron. He, he does follow me. And sometimes it does make you think, I'm not saying I've like pulled punches, but something, yeah. there, are there are times when like, it's more like a snarky thing. Like at right, the end of the day, right. these, are, these are other people. And like, you don't want to be like the, the, the jerk just be, and I'm like, Oh wait, like the person that, and, and Ron is active. I mean, I think that's a pretty obvious, he's obviously paying attention to, what, what's going on in the media. So yes, it is, it, you have to be a little, I have to be a little cognizant of it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. But on the yeah, other hand, I, like, I know uh, Ted Leonsis follows me. And so I, I always do, I think about that sometimes with the Wizards. I'm like, well, Teddy's going to see this. I mean, like you said, it doesn't make you pull the punches, but you do think about it. It's kind of funny with how that can be. Absolutely. Um, who is your all-time favorite athlete? Well, I'm a lifelong resident of this area. So growing up, my my four favorite people, Cal Ripken for the Orioles, Gary Clark for the Redskins, Kevin Hatcher for the Capitals, and Jeff Malone for the Bullets. So I'd say Ripken, which I'm sure a lot of people probably say to you, because like if you're in your 30s or 40s, that's like the guy from back in the day. But Cal was awesome, man. And Cal, the thing about Cal, too, is all class – and he had this knack for the moment. When he homered the night he broke the Gehrig streak, that's like classic Cal, like that that just rising to the occasion type thing. I, I thought that was like the coolest thing that like on that night with everyone on the planet watching him, he goes deep like that. Just tremendous. Um, I, uh, Cal Ripken has been a popular answer. I don't have littles like Tony Kornheiser, so I'm sure there's nobody out there. But like I, I, I wish I had been keeping track. If somebody feels compelled to go back and – tally up the answers uh my, my mine has been eddie murray but obviously cal would be uh right there uh for, cal, for, cal for loved sure. eddie a lot of other people didn't but cal loved eddie he always uh, speaks so glowingly about him. 
Eddie, Eddie Wall, my favorite player. I have to ask debate this because I have he he sniffed me for an autograph when I was a kid, and still to this day, that's not surprising. Yeah, right, to this day, it's still I think about that whenever I see athletes on August. So maybe I need to reconsider it. He 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 gave me some some trauma early on in life. Um, all right, here's a weird question. I love expansion drafts. I, I they're always so fun from both perspectives. What's the new team looking to do? But like, who are the people that that y- your team has to protect? Now, if I told you you could only protect three people, three players, I could maybe guess who the three players are. But if I tell you that we expanded to not just players, but anybody in the organization, you can protect three people, but anybody in the organization, who do you, who are you protecting? For for the football team? Yeah. So definitely, pro- yeah, definitely protecting Chase Young. Okay. Definitely protecting Terry McLaurin. And I am protecting. I'm protecting Montez Sweat. So, so not. I mean, so not Ron Rivera. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to lose him, but I do think I could find another head coach, leader of my organization. When you have guys who you know can play, especially at key positions, I think you got to keep those guys, especially guys who are young. And that's the thing. It's not just that those three guys are good. They're all in their first or second seasons, which is just massive when you think about that. And by the way, to the point earlier about the window, I don't think I mentioned this in my story, which is my fault, I guess. All those guys, like you said, are on rookie deals. Now, at some point, Jonathan Allen is sort of the first of the young guys who maybe has to get a new deal. I, I mentioned Jimmy Chase Rui, I guess, as well. But, like, you know, in terms of the real frontline guys, at some point, they're gonna, there's going to have to be decisions to make. We can't afford to pay all however many guys, which is a good problem to have. But it's also why the window could be now because you have so many of these guys on rookie deals and they're all playing at a high level, or a lot of them are. And you got to take that. You, you go out and make those bold moves now while these guys are on these, uh, on these cheap deals. Um, Tress Way player especially nfc special teams player of the week this week second time he's gotten it this week fourth time in his uh career put him on the short list of like washington players who've gotten at least four includes uh uh daryl green art monk her cousins mark griffin so the question is this tressway still has more time in his career is he going in the ring of honor if he keeps performing at this level he should yeah yeah, I, I mean, my, my thing with special teams guys in the NFL, it's kind of like closers in baseball. I think the standard for honoring them with things like halls of fame, rings of fame, it's higher, but it still matters. Like what they do matters a lot. And so if we're going to praise Brian Mitchell, and we should, and I think he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, if Tressway ends up being the best punter in franchise history, and by the way, he might be already. I, I mean, I think there's a case for that already. But every year, this guy's top 10 in yards per punt, net yards per punt. It's not like, you know, a lot of punters, it's kind of year by year. Like with him, though, it's every year now. It's like this is going on like three, four, five years. Or like every year he's good. Uh, I think absolutely he's ring of fame worthy. All right. So they just texted and said that they just wrapped and Ron should be ready in a second. So I'll let you ask the last question before I have to uh, jet. What do you got for me? All right. So I'm always so curious from your end of things, because, you know, you do actual reporting and you have sources and you try to break stories. So has there ever been a huge story that you wanted to do, but that you couldn't go with? Like you you didn't have a confirming source or 
somebody told your editor said like don't go with it or like did you have did is there like a, a bullet in your gun that you didn't fire like a story you didn't write that you really wanted to but you couldn't because of just whatever reason um i'm sitting here like rodan's thinker or whatever that guy <laughs> trying to contemplate i mean i i guess the answer is yes i mean uh, you know it's all relative i mean I'm, I'm sure there's probably a better answer. I, I don't, I, I don't know what, what I can say specifically, but basically, you know, when you talk to people and you hear things and you share your own opinion with people, which leads to other thoughts, like I can think of things more along the lines of not like, oh, so-and-so was, was wanted to do this. So-and-so asked for a trade or whatever, but just a sense of circumstances with the wizards come to mind that I just couldn't, I, you know, it's not a matter of like burning bridges, but you had to look big picture, I guess. And like, what's the, yeah. what's, what's my personal upside for reporting X and stuff like stuff like that um, became a, uh, became a uh, situation. Um, so that, that's probably one thing I remember also, this is more minor, but when the Ernie Grunfeld extension story came out a, a few years ago, like I, I had, I had that story. This is what I was doing with the sports capital. And I had it before it came out, but like we were so little, maybe a little too self-conscious or a little too uh, lack, didn't have a total confidence, not so much in it, but just like what it would mean or are we pissing anybody off or, or yeah. whatever. And then the story came out, but then we kind of still figured out a way to sort of to get into it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely been a couple of things. If I think of something better, more interesting, I'll, I'll tell you on the side, but uh but yeah, I no, just find I mean, that stuff interesting because it's like you guys who do actual reporting, you know a lot, but then there's always the stuff that like you knew, but you never actually could report. So I, I've always found that to be a worthwhile topic. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, man, I really appreciate it, Al. Go, go listen, of course, to Al on the Team 980. Go listen to his. Uh, you can listen to it on demand. All that good stuff. Uh, Al, always appreciate it, man. I'm sure we'll talk soon. All right. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. All right, now we're going to transition into the game. There's a bit, there's a big game Sunday. If you if you haven't heard, it's the surging Washington football team against the always good Seattle Seahawks. So we have to hear from the Seattle side. Nobody better to help us that with. He is at Mike Dugar on Twitter. Michael Sean Dugar, our Seahawks reporter for the Athletic. First off, uh, I've, we were just talking a little before uh, before this. I've, I've, I've loved your stuff, so it's great to finally. Uh, talk to you in in person uh before we get into the game uh just how's uh how are you doing coping with life in in the world that we're living in i never thought i'd be this productive without ever wearing pants or socks like it's a very it's refreshing um i'm i'm naturally like rebellious in terms of like um attire like i i'd never i went to a uniform school six years so maybe that's what did it um so i like i hate wearing what everyone else is wearing i don't like wearing like suits in the press box or uh if i get married i don't really want to have like a tux on i'd rather just be as comfortable as possible so be able to just be on zoom in some basketball shorts actually that's what i have on now it's been very very nice actually so that's probably the best part of it the world is falling apart around me but uh the fact i get to wear sweats while it's falling apart i guess maybe uh helps me feel better about it Uh, i'm not gonna lie i've worn the same sweats four days in a row. I didn't have to travel this weekend. So I think I put these on, well, actually it's five. I think I put these on Saturday 
and by and large, they've been. I, I it's been a weird week. The, the team was out of town last weekend. We had practice canceled today. I, I just haven't had to be anywhere. I went. I had to, basically had to go to the store once or twice, and that's like it. So yeah, it's been. Um, I, I, now that we're saying this, I almost feel like it's. It's. I'm recognizing it's a bad. It's a slippery slope. Like on some level, like tomorrow, I'm changing clothes just just to be uh, just just to be different. But but yes, but but that just means going to a different pair of sweats. Not 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 like going crazy putting. Yeah, I got I got about three pairs of sweats in rotation, man. That's it. I don't go anywhere. I haven't been to Seahawks practice since week one. Like I just I'm at the crib, reading, working, making phone calls, doing zooms. Like I do my. Wait, you haven't you haven't gone to practice since what you said since week one. Yeah, before they played um, Atlanta, I don't even know if I went that week. I honestly might have stopped going after camp. Part of it was because my car broke down, so I, was, I had to keep getting rides, and I was like, it's not worth getting rides to just watch 15 minutes or 12. I don't know how long you guys get to watch. We get like 20 minutes of practice, some yeah. stretching, some special teams, and they kick us out. Like, I ain't getting a ride here at 9 a.m. to get my nose swabbed and go back home and come back and then go back. I was like, nah, I'm gonna sit at the house and do that. And then I just got good at it. I'm like, why would I? Why, why would I go? So uh, yeah, I have it. I leave here. I leave here to go to home games and go do my podcast with the homie Chris Kidd. That's about it. Um, yeah, I mean, we get about about the same amount of time, fifteen to twenty minutes, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's about a forty minute drive, but there's no traffic these days, obviously. And it's 100% not not really worth it. There's been like two or three times this year where, oh, so and so is not practicing. What does that mean? You know, but but other than that, yeah, we mostly see stretching. But it's similar to sort of what I just said about the sweatpants. If I just you know I, I just feel like I almost feel compelled. I need to go just to do it. And honestly, like it, it it's about the only human interaction I get, mask to mask or face to face. Uh, over the course of any given week. So it's, uh, it, for, for me, it is good for the mental reps, but at the same point, yeah, it's, it, it is a bizarre season. I, I will say this a couple of weeks ago, I was starting to look at the calendar going, okay, I only have six or seven weeks left. Okay. We can do this five weeks left. We can do this, but wait, are they going to make the playoffs? Wait, yeah. are they winning? They've won four in a row. Is this thing going into January? And now, I mean, they're obviously Washington's winning the division. You guys have been, you know, obviously everybody assumed that Seattle, is going to be in the mix. I think that I think Seattle was my preseason pick for the to make the Super Bowl. I might have even picked Seattle to beat Kansas City just simply to, to do something uh, different. So I, I think that's still in play. But yeah, I mean it's been bizarre uh, for, from this end, and I'm curious kind of what you what you think about it. And so you know, people who've been listening here uh, know we've kind of when I have a, one of our other athletic writers on from another place, uh, another city, we just kind of go back and forth, different questions, each one asking the other one um, what. Uh, you know, kind of what's on their mind about the other team. Since you are the road team, I'll let you go first if you if you, if you would like. If you want to defer to the second half, that's fine as well. But if you want to go first, uh, question about what's going on on this end, fire away. Yeah, this is – I want to hear your take on this because we just had Rhiannon on our Seahawks podcast uh, yesterday, and I asked her something. I was wondering the day that Alex came in for the, um, the Rams game, kind of mm-hmm. came in in relief duty. Because I, I thought Alex Smith was good. Like, if he can, if he's healthy, I'm, I was, like, very confident he is worlds better than Kyle Allen and Dwayne Haskins. Um, so when I saw him come in as the backup, I'm like, wait, he's healthy enough to play? Ron, what the hell were you doing starting Kyle Allen anyway? Um, so 
why why was that the case that a, that a healthy Alex Smith was ever the backup to Dwayne or Kyle? It's a weird dynamic. I, I've made this. I'm gonna have to stop making this joke, but I've been wrong every time. Every other every step of Alex Smith's journey, no pun intended, with a leg injury, I've been wrong. He's never gonna play again. Well, he's definitely not gonna pass the physical. Well, he's definitely not gonna make the team. All these things. I think on some level the team was kind of with me. I don't really know if they 100% believed it was going to happen, but Alex Smith is, is such a force of nature. He just kind of kept pushing himself and kind of put them in a, not saying in an awkward position, but kind of put them in a position of, well, he's here. It, you know, if he can pass a physical, which he did, I guess he needs to be around. Now he was the uh, third string up until the point that Dwayne was benched. So I think at that moment, so Dwayne gets benched after week four, Kyle, the Rams game we're talking about is week five. So I think at that point, Alex Smith simply had not had the basic practice reps. So I think at that point, they were just like, well, we can't start him. Because that was a question. If Ron Rivera kept saying, yeah, we could play if we had to. And I, I may even ask this. Well, wait, if if you're saying he could play, why would you not start Alex Smith over Kyle Allen? I think it was the practice reps. I honestly think they just weren't sure. And he was that Rams game just terrible. It wasn't all his fault. The line was a disaster. They had to make some changes after that. Aaron Donald's kind of good. Uh, and 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 look, it was his first literally steps out onto the field. So it was a monumental moment on 100 levels. When he came back in week nine, in between, I, what I gather is he started to look much more comfortable in practice. And so when it came time, uh, Kyle Allen wasn't bad. The offense got appreciably better when he was there. And, you know, I don't know how much different things would be now if he wasn't there. But, okay, look, Alex Smith is clearly more proven so I think once Alex Smith got back in in week nine, now he felt more comfortable. He'd had some practice reps. He'd gotten that you know first taste of being getting hit again. And I think that sort of put everything where it probably should have been all along. But I really think the team was just not – they saw more than we did, but I don't think they were 100% confident that it was going to work. But obviously he's proved everybody wrong to this point. But we'll see if he plays on Sunday. He didn't practice today. He's taking it very slow – Yada yada yada. Um, so we'll see with the cap injury if he uh, if he makes it makes it go. Yeah, that that's interesting. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense that the injury part is like where I get like I really want to get Ron's like, like I don't know, give him a glass of wine or two and give him have him give it to me straight. Because like if in the back of his head he's like, man, I can't play Alex because what if his leg falls off <clears> and I put him out there? I was like, well, you made him active, so. And you know quarterbacks get hurt. So, like, what did that get happen in, like, the first half, I think, Kyle, Kyle got hurt? Yeah. It's like, you can't – he can't be a contingency plan if also in the back of your head you're afraid of his leg falling off too. So, I mean, I, I get it to some extent. But, like, I just remember Alex's 2017 season. I know – I think he was good in 2018 too. But I just remember in 2017 he was, like, slinging it deep and stuff. I was like, man, this guy's this guy's good. You know, I was actually – I was weirded out by the trade – to give him away and then start Mahomes, but obviously that worked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's that's interesting. He, he, if I had in my head, like man, that dude can sling it. Him and Terry it should work out, and then it's working. I know Alex isn't playing like super great, but I knew his ceiling is higher than than Dwayne and Kyle. And as you know, the defenses catch up to you in the later parts of the year. You know, there was like a bunch of single digit scores this last week. Everyone was dropping thirty. You know, in September, and right. I'd rather have a veteran guy who's going to recognize these guys are disguising, these guys are doing this and this, and the safeties are baiting me into this. You know, later in the year, especially a team that could win. Also, I thought they could win the division with Alex because the division stinks. What do you know? They're winning the division. 
uh, yeah, no, the division talk when, when Rivera started bringing this up around week three, week four, we're all like, oh, come on. <laughs> you guys aren't that good. If you either Philly or Dallas will eventually get going, pull away. That'll be that. Well, obviously that, that, uh, that, that never happened. And on the Alex front, whatever physical limitations he has, and obviously there's some uh, because of the injury, he's just such got such a brain for the game. Like the offensive line has been significantly better than it was earlier in the year. This, despite having uh, sort of a stopgap left tackle in Cornelius Lucas, uh, West Schweitzer wasn't the starting left guard. He's been pretty solid, but they had to move Morgan Moses from the right side to the left side for two games. And yet the line's held up. And I think a lot of that is just simply Alex Smith's presence, his understanding of the line of scrimmage, what he's seeing, gets rid of the ball, calls, you know, can, can adjust at the line. This is the type of thing that, you know, younger quarterbacks is not going to do. It's institutional knowledge. And I think that's gone a long way for sure to, to helping the cause. But, you know, we'll see what happens this week. I mean, it could be, it could be Dwayne Haskins. It, whatever this calf injury is, it's connected to the other. Even though Alex Smith told us today, it's not related to the other injury. You can't, in the back of your head, not. Not, not think to yourself, well, if he's not 100%, I can't put him in there, you would think. But we'll see. Rivera's leaned on the training staff to put Alex in in the first place. We'll see if he um, we'll see if he does that again. Um, all right, so we had Pete Carroll today uh, on the uh, weekly call where we get the head coach, and uh, he was really good. I'm, you know, We may have the two best coaches. I don't know what your take on Pete Carroll's, but we may have the two best coaches when it comes to talking, uh, or two of the best coaches talking in the league. At least Pete Carroll seemed to like talking to us I, I don't know what it's like on the week-to-week basis but you know he clearly you know had a podcast obviously uh over the summer and he's not a you know he, he's he, he seems to have an intellect that, go, that goes beyond uh football but the question I was asking him today when Ron Rivera took this job back in January he said that Dan Snyder presented him with a situation of I want to make this a coach-centered plan and he cited situations including Pete Carroll in Seattle, a successful situations that they wanted to try to emulate. Now we can, we'll ignore the Russell Wilson part of it or the Patrick Mahomes with Andy Reid part of it, because obviously that kind of helps, but it's been a sustained thing, obviously with Pete Carroll, they've been good this whole time. So I talked to Pete Carroll about it and he said, yeah, for him, when he took the, when he left USC, this is the vision he had. He wanted to be in a situation where he had control to some degree over everything, but the control didn't mean it's his way or the highway for him. It meant, so he says, a collaborative situation, but everybody kind of understands what they're doing together and working together, not working apart. And he and John Schneider get along well, and it looks like it from the outside that that's the case. So I'm just curious from your perspective. Uh, the re- oh, sorry. The reason I bring this up is there is no GM here. Uh, Kyle Smith is the VP of player personnel, and there's been some talk lately. I wrote something the other day on The Athletic about, well, what happens next? Because Kyle Smith has done a pretty good job with some, with the drafts and free agency was good this year and so on. So we're all kind of wondering what's the next step. So from your perspective, how has that Carol Schneider relationship worked if in theory Carol is above the GM, but it seems like John Schneider's a pretty, you know, pretty notable GM in this league. Yeah, no, he definitely is. I would say he's above him for sure. He was hired first. Um, I think he helped select John. So yeah, yeah. no, he definitely it's unique in that way. Um, most most of the time it's the GM um the, then the coach. Oh, it's it's definitely working. And the thing about Pete is um like any good leader, he is an effective communicator, and that is not just sports. Um, that can be whether you're leading a book club or uh, a, a group chat, I don't know, a Fortune 500 company. If you're in charge, you need to effectively communicate. That means you, that means you effectively communicate uh, with people you need stuff from, people who need stuff from you. 
Um, you know, every level of it, the messaging that you have needs to be clear and you got to articulate that message. And Pete's been really good at that. Like there are some foundational principles in his, you know, system. I know every team kind of now has like a hashtag for their season or their, you know, their motto or whatever. A lot of them are pretty cheesy. Like Carolina's was like, keep pounding. I thought that was stupid. Um, but in general, Pete Carroll understands, like, I need to communicate this thought and we need to all be clear about whatever the thought is, whether it's like, for example, it's one of them is take every game as a championship opportunity. Go one and know every week. Don't focus on anything else. Go one and know every week. Right. That's a thing. Compete. You know, on Wednesdays, we're going to compete. Thursdays, we're going to be all about the ball. Turnover Thursday. Um, I forget what the Friday theme is, but even um, Monday after a game is tell the truth Monday, win or lose. It's all about accountability. When you when your messaging is really consistent and really clear and thematic in that way, you it, it, it gets into your brain. Like what you hear is what you, is what you absorb, right? Positively or negatively. People tell you you suck your whole life events, you're gonna think you suck, right? People tell you you're great, then you're gonna think you're great. So Pete, because he has all that control and has found ways to effectively communicate a message that people ultimately then buy into, you get a winning culture. I'm like, that's why they could come in in 2010, make more transactions than anyone in the league have a losing record and win a playoff game against the defending champions in 2010. Like that, it, he had it built in there. Now it helps that he eventually dra he drafted Hall of Fame players. I think they got four and three drafts. Doesn't hurt. Uh, Doesn't but hurt. I think just as a leader, and you see this is why, you look at any team where they fire the coach, for the most part, um, I would probably excuse Ron and Carolina, Jim Caldwell, Marvin Lewis, perhaps. For the most part, when guys get canned, they've lost the locker room. They've lost the building, whether their messages isn't getting if, uh, communicated effectively or people just stop listening to it. Whatever it is, you can see it in the team. You can see it in those Falcons teams with Dan Quinn. You can see it now with the Chargers. Ain't nobody over there listening to Anthony Lynn, you know, like especially not on special teams. So, um, so what, what, what Pete's really good at is that part of it, like the picking players and all that. Like that's still John's job and. It's a collaborative effort there with the scouting department. Like they're not doing anything unique in that regard. But I think what sets the good teams apart and the reason you see sustained success with teams like New Orleans and New England and Pittsburgh and Green Bay, yes, all of those teams have quarterbacks. That, again, helps a lot. Um, but what they also have is just like good leaders there. I think Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick are actually both good leaders, all three with Pete in just different ways. Sure. Um, John Harbaugh too, um, honestly, in, in, uh, in Baltimore. When, you, when you're a good leader, you have to be a good communicator because that's the only way people are going to follow you. If not, uh, then you'll be out the door, right? And you, sometimes you'll be out the door in a year, like Jim Tom Sula in, the, in San Fran or something like that. Yeah, no, and uh, everything you just said kind of reminds me very much of what's going on here. Ron Rivera, early in the season, I've, I've said this before here, when they were struggling and it was like, oh, boy, this is going to be a pretty long year, and people started to question how he was handling Haskins and all that. When we would talk to the players, granted, it's over Zoom, but it's one thing for the players to say nice things about the coach. They, they know they're on camera, but they don't have to gush, and they don't have to go out of their way to say it's better than it was last year, and then praise Rivera on top of it because of things like you just said of, he tells us exactly what the expectations are, and we're, it's very clear what, what is required of us and what, what, we, what we need to do, and that he's a leader of men. And that, and that was telling me, that this is getting through regardless of how sloppy things were looking at early in the year and, and, and so on. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I agree with you. The communication aspect is definitely, um, is, de is definitely huge. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, we're, over here, we're mostly talking about a title, 
what does the title actually mean? If you make Kyle Smith the GM, then what? Does Ron Rivera, is he to the degree that, like you just said, that Schneider deals with the personnel stuff? Is that GM, if it's Kyle Smith or somebody else, actually have that sort of sway? Or is it still more Rivera making the final calls? That, that I think, is sort of the interesting part of it here. But that's kind of why I wanted to ask Pete Carroll today about that, because it's, you know, Rivera cited him as an example. So it was, uh, it was interesting uh, from, from that perspective. Um, all right, you, we're here on the uh, Standing Room Only podcast. Ben standing here with our Seahawks. Uh, beat writer Michael Sean Dugar. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Dugar, D-U-G-A-R. Um, by the way, I should mention The Athletic just put out a list of our best stories of the year, and my guy here was on the list. Uh, what was the – I mean, I, I know what it was, but, like, you were talking about – we want people to obviously read, and I think it's open right now, right? I, I think all those were free. What, just put, kind of tell everybody kind of what that story was, and then you can kind of jump into your next question. Um, it's – oh, man – Dang, I wish I had the title off the top of my head. It's about former uh, defensive back, Seahawk defensive back Brandon Browner, who I believe is still in a California state prison for... Uh, he had, he tried to kill his the mother of his uh, children. He tried to allegedly like smother her in a carpet um, in California. And the title of the piece is Brandon Browner, or is, uh, from inmate... No, it's from, uh, from Legion of Boom to inmate, whatever his inmate number is. I, I honestly can't remember off the top of my head. But it's a, it's a really, really kind of tragic story, and it's not just, it's not just like the rise and fall of the guy. I really tried to understand him, too, and I think that's that's really important with all of the work that we do, you know, with with, with any type of feature is to understand your subject, and that requires a ton, a ton, a ton of research. Um, it turned out really well because Brandon's really forthcoming. Like it, you see all the quotes in there for everyone who reads it. You'll see, I never talked to Brandon directly. I've never even met him. Um, he was in prison the whole time that I wrote the story, but he left so many breadcrumbs with quotes from Oregon State, from when he played in the CFL, from interviews with ESPN and interviews with beat writers and radio shows over the course of his career. And he was so revealing, so like honest about what was he, what point in his life he was at. All I had to do was fill in some blanks and make some phone calls, but he was one of those people who was a product of his environment. And that, that's not to excuse the behavior. Like, you shouldn't try to smother anyone in the carpet, no matter what type of upbringing you had. I guess I should be that more clear. But you do have to understand where that comes from, too. Like, he came from a place where he was the chosen one. You know, he was like, all right, you have to make it out for your family. Like, you have to make it out and do this. And the only way he knew how to do that was to be violent. And so it happens in football. That makes you rich as hell. <laughs> when your default is violence yeah. but if you can't turn that switch off and you don't have the camaraderie and the brotherhood and the guidance that you've had when you're on a football team and you're out in the real world and your default when you're faced with adversity is violence well then you end up with in trouble with the law right and i think that's it's not just to excuse him it's like oh he's angry so he did a bad thing people get angry all the time and don't smother you know try to you know strangle people or whatever but I do think understanding how, you know, a guy does go from a multi-time Super Bowl champ to, you know, like I said, inmate number whatever he is now. So, yeah, no, it took me like six months to do, but it turned out really well. I think people really, uh, you know, talk about effectively communicating. I really wanted to communicate that part. This is not to excuse the behavior of someone who was in prison for a very violent crime. It is to understand, you know, someone's life and how you get there. 
You know, it's not like he just woke up and smothered somebody in a carpet on, in high school. No, this was a progressive thing. You know, his whole journey is all is all there. So, um, I encourage everybody to go check it out. Uh, it's it's like I said, it's not the most like upbeat thing in the world, uh, but it definitely is a very revealing piece. And I think that that was what I tried to do when I started it, and it came out good. So, uh, I'm glad I effectively communicated there. I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was good. I, I read it uh, back back when, when when you put it out. I'll tweet it out. Uh, so if you're listening to this, just follow me on, uh, you know, just just look for it on, in my Twitter feed along with this, uh, uh, along with this link. Uh, all right, you are you are up. What uh, what's your question about the Washington football team? So we're in the we're in the NFC West, obviously with the Niners, and they just went to the Super Bowl last year. And I figured the Niners would have a good defense eventually because they sucked for so long and kept taking D linemen. You know, in the first round, I was like, eventually this is gonna work. You know, even if they miss on one or two, you just keep sucking and keep taking them. Eventually, you'll just have some studs. And what do you know? Last year, they were just sending killers at quarterbacks all year. Is that something that Washington? I know it's not the same regime there, but is that something they were do like a similar similarly building their roster in that way, taking D linemen in the first round, hoping they just eventually had a squad of killers up front? Um, I don't know if that was their intention because. I'm not without trying to disparage the previous regime too much. It just felt like sort of things fell to them. I mean, Jonathan Allen was supposed to be a top five pick. He slips to them to 17 because of some perception that he was going to have a shoulder injury that was not, which would uh, cut his career short. Knock on wood so far. He's been, he's been really good this year. Next year, they take his former Alabama teammate, Jerron Payne with the 13th pick because the run defense had been good. Then last year they draft Haskins with their pick at 15, but, the, 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 as the story goes, the owner pushed for Haskins at 15. The, the scouting department supposedly wanted to take a pass rusher. I don't know if it's exactly it was Montez Sweat, who they took at 26, or Brian Burns, who went to pick to Carolina after at 16. But when they had a chance to get Sweat at the end of the first round, they jumped back in. So I, I don't know if there was a cohesive plan. But when, when it became obvious that it was going to be Chase Young, 100%, I, me and everybody else was making the same comparison to the 49ers. Chase Young will be the Nick Bosa for this group because even last year they weren't, you know, wasn't there yet, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons. I think the coaching staff is significantly better now with Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera than, than the previous staff. But having Chase Young there, pick your poison to some degree. You, who, you can't double them all, and they really all work well uh, together. And it's not even just them. I mean, uh, Tim Settle's been really good off the bench. Ryan Kerrigan has had a, a fun time as a sort of uh, – six man to use the NBA parlance uh, pass rusher. The, their leading sacker from last year, Matt Ioannidis got hurt in week three and he's out for the year. So th- this group would even be more, <laughs> uh, more interesting if he was around. So whether they planned it or not, it absolutely worked like you're saying, like with the way like the 49ers uh, it, it, it unfolded. Obviously San Fran, bad luck this year with all their injuries. So knock on wood for Washington that things don't go that way. But uh, yeah, I mean, between Chase Young and Montez Sweat in particular, it is, you know, if you, a quarterback is the most important position, but you got to have a strong bo- on both lines, including especially pass rush and clearly <laughs> Chase Young and Sweat. They, they've got they've got a, a really good foundation, so it'll be interesting to see can they keep all these guys um, over time. But for now, it's a really uh, it's a really fun group. Yeah, no, I like I like that. If if I would rather my team not stink, like that Mike Tomlin quote um, that he, was, he says to Chase, like, yo, I don't ever want to yeah. be as bad to get a guy like you. I, I don't know how that was perceived by everyone else, but I was like, man, that's a really, like, that's some real stuff right there. You don't want to be that bad. 
ever get that dude. Like, you would love to have him if you can. Like, TJ Watt's probably just better than Chase. But they, they lucked into that one. But that's probably how I would build uh, a team. Either that or I would just go all with, like, nasty DBs um, in, the, in, the, in the first round. Like, like, imagine a team that just, like, takes – these guys aren't all in the same drafts in a row, but like you grab Buda Baker, now you grab Jalen Ramsey one draft, and then you grab like Buda Baker the next draft, and you grab like Marshawn Lattimore. You know, you probably a, a, accomplish a similar goal as like getting, and they play more snaps too because D linemen rotate. Like those three dudes I just named would never come off the field. DBs play 100%. So yeah, that's team building has been interesting to me in that way more that I've been covering the draft and learning philosophies and what guys evaluate. That's why, personally, I think there's really only, like... Because Seattle always picks in the back of the draft. Um, I would really only take, like, six positions in the first round, like, total. Because, you know, teams don't give out 32 grades. Uh, 32 first-round grades, excuse me. So they're always taking... That's why teams trade out. They're like, I would probably only take, like, a quarterback, a receiver, a defensive end, outside of the top 10, maybe. Yeah, quarterback, defensive end, receiver, corner and a, a left tackle. tackle yeah left tackle if, if that's not what you play why just trade back and, and and get that off ball linebacker or that run stopping defensive tackle um because yeah yeah see that always picks from like 21 to 32 right. you're probably not gonna get the studs you want i know guys like d hop and tj watt and stuff like that have come in those those places but like if you really want to get value for your pick the last thing you should do is draft like Clyde Edwards Alaire with 32. Um, trade back. Grab, what, grab yeah, yeah, for, for sure. And what's interesting also is, um, you know, I, I, I historically have covered the NBA uh, more than the, the NFL. And obviously in that sport, typically you've got to have the guy, you know, you, you, to win a tip, to contend if you don't have one of the five best players in the league or three of the top 15 or whatever, you don't have much of a chance. And most of the time, unless you live in LA or Miami or something, the only way you're going to get that guy is like, you know, you probably have to pick one, two or three, you know, once in a while you get lucky that the 15th pick in the draft turns into Giannis Antetokounmpo, which to some degree is similar to Seattle getting lucky with Russell Wilson in the third round. But in the NFL, you can to some degree get away with picking later in the round because look, even if you're picking 22, you might get the best or the second best uh, pick your position that you want at that spot and you have so many players one guy other than a quarterback doesn't completely typically change the game but like you know mike tomlin i totally get his point he got ben roethlisberger when they were picking top 10 right and that's not the same as picking chase young too but you start with that they weren't good they got ben roethlisberger and obviously they can just build off of off of that as they have for the last uh, <laughs> you know 15 years and that's what's gonna be interesting for for this team is what do they actually do at quarterback? This run has been fun. It's taken them out right now of a top 10 pick, which means probably can't draft a quarterback. And then what? Now, now, now what do they do? So it, it's an interesting, they can have, they, they need help at linebacker, another receiver and some other, and, and maybe even left tackle. But, you know, at some point you got to address the long-term quarterback. If they don't think Dwayne Haskins is the answer, how do you do that? Picking 20, you know, around 20, that, that, that becomes the interesting part for them this year. Yeah, no, that uh, our our guy Mike Sando at the Athletic wrote uh, made a made a similar point when the Giants beat Seattle because like the difference between I think when for I, I have to go look but I'm pretty sure the NFC East team like if the if Washington loses the division it's a difference between like picking like what like twenty versus I, I think it's ten I think the Giants right now have the tenth pick and Washington I think as the team with the worst record of the play I think it's nineteen 
Yeah, and see, that is – I mean, I guess that's not a huge gap, but – for, for quarterback, it is. Yeah, and for, for a lot of these positions, like the average – I'm sure Sando knows this too, the answer to this. The average, you know, like lifespan of the 10th pick is probably a lot longer than the average lifespan of the 19th pick. Um, positional value matters some, to some extent. But, yeah, like if, I, if you're the front office, like, of course, you want to make the postseason. But – I mean, if you're going to make it a seven and nine and get your boots smoked by the five seed and give up 10 in a year where you don't have the, the ticket sales from the, you know, the playoff uh, home game, man, like got to weigh the cost benefit there. But of course the coach can be like, hey, no, we need to make these playoffs, build this culture. You know, Pete Carroll will tell you that they really needed to win that game with the beast quake and everything at seven and nine. But it is, if you're, if you're just on the scouting part, you're like, man, we could really use insert left tackle from Alabama here, <laughs> but we're not going to get him at 10 and we're not going to get him at 19. We need to get to 10. Uh, so yeah, that interesting like conundrum for all the NFC East teams. Well, except for Dallas, they stay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're, 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 and actually Dallas, I mean, without veering into them, this is actually on some weird level, maybe a really good thing for them. Okay, fine. This season's been an absolute disaster, but if Dak comes back next season and they keep him and obviously that's the whole thing they're going to have right now a top five pick or something. So they have obviously holes. So like, you know, I mean, if you bring Dak back Dak Prescott plus this, whatever this top five, 10 pick, whatever it is, all of a sudden you're addressing a need and yet, you know, uh, they could probably get back to where they were, where the projection, but that's right. We, 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 in these parts, in this part of the world, Dallas can be terrible. Nobody's going to object, uh, <laughs> object to that. Um, all right. Let me ask you uh, this. So I know most of the, this year, Seattle's defense has not been very good. Every time I watch a game early on in the season, you know, it feels like they're in a lot of high-scoring games. Felt like they're secondary. You mentioned the Legion of Boom before. Uh, far removed from that. Uh, it, it, some some stats I just some basic stats I just jotted down. On the season, 27th and third down, um, uh, third down defense allowing 46.5 uh, percent there. Yards per game, 27, 390 points per game. 19th. I can't read my own writing. 20. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's not good. Or it's, it's decent, but it's, it's whatever. But over the last month. Third down percentage, now it's middle of the pack at 40.4. Yards per game, 25, or their first, 259.8, and points third, 13.8. And in that stretch, they go three and one. They had the loss to the Giants. And look, I get it. The opponents are kind of not so hot. Beat the Cardinals, beat the Eagles, beat the Jets. Uh, people in this part, most, I think other than Pittsburgh, Washington, I don't think has beaten the team with a winning record this year. So, that said, I guess my question for you is, is this recent turnaround with this defense real? Or is this just sort of, just, I don't want to say luck, but just sort of circumstance based on the opponent or, or, or what have you? That's a good question. Uh, I, I assessed a lot of that after the Jets game, because they beat the Jets by 37, but it's the Jets, right? Like, it's this big asterisk there next to, like, uh, you didn't really beat an NFL team. You beat, you know, well, you did, but not really. Um, but I think there's some things that they're doing that are really sustainable and some things they're doing that are not. Holding teams to three points, unsustainable, right? But sacking the quarterback at the rate that they are, very sustainable. I mean, you look at their numbers since getting Jamal, since the Carlos Dunlap trade and since they've gotten Jamal Adams back, I think that's since week nine. They lead the league in sacks, right? Just, just since then. Their scoring defense numbers since then are super great because they gave up 44 to Buffalo uh, the, the week that they came back. But part of that was because Quentin Dunbar had one leg. Um, uh, as soon as they removed Quentin Dunbar and got corners with like two healthy legs, they haven't given up more than 23 points in a game. Um, and that's including against the Rams and the Cardinals when the Cardinals are actually a lot hotter than they are right now. So, yeah, no, I think 
when you when you can pressure the quarterback, um, when you can force punts, they were not forcing punts at all to begin the year. They looked a lot like the 2018 Chiefs or like the 2011 Packers in that like their 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 blueprint was have the MVP, have a defense that basically just gets a lot of turnovers and and turnovers on downs and gives up a lot of points. That's a terrible model. Right? I don't think either of those teams won the championship, although they were both really good. So I think they've kind of turned things around since then. Now they're like, they, at one point they were like 30th, I think, in DVOA. Now I think they're up to like 19th. Like that's a big jump because DVOA accounts for opponent. You know, if you smoke the Jets, that accounts for that. And they've still climbed up. Right? That's how good they've been. And I think a lot of it is health. You know, they planned on having Jamal Adams be their lead, you know, pass rusher this year when they gave up the farm to get him. Oh, he missed like five games with groin. What do you know? Their pass rush sucked. So when Jamal gets back, well, he's averaging a sack a game since he <laughs> since he's been back. So I think that, that that part of it is also sustainable. Jamal is sustainable. He's also inevitable. It seems like <laughs> for real, getting a sack a game. Carlos yeah. Dunlap, uh, he's almost had like a sack a game since I think he has had a sack a game since he's come as well like uh, in week nine. So that part of their defense is definitely legit. And then what's that going to do? It's going to, the turnovers are going to start to come. And you see it in Washington. Like once you, when you're smacking the hell out of the quarterback, things just happen. And start smacking other people. Next thing you know, your D linemen are scoring touchdowns. Like it, it all just starts to to come together. So yeah, I definitely think that their defense, they were like one of the worst in the league through like the first five weeks. I think they're going to enter the playoffs, at least in the NFC as like a, top three defense i think like they're the rams are probably still be the best because aaron donald is also inevitable um but if washington gets in and tampa bay will obviously probably get in like i think new orleans i think seattle's numbers are all going to be right there if we look at just from when they got carlos and jamal into the postseason like the numbers that like you just read some of them they are solid once they plucked out their one-legged corner put in healthy guys got jamal back boom turned into they're not the legion of boom but they're putting up legion of boom-esque numbers scoring wise since week like 10. gotcha all right you're uh you're 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 up i i should note um whenever i have a podcast i always a podcast because i always think to myself we're going to keep it relatively short it inevitably i always go long so i hope I, I, if you need to roll at some point here tell me but uh otherwise you're up all right uh, and this is something I, I picked Rhiannon's brain on, too. Uh, where do you think Terry kind of stacks up with some of the receivers from his class? There's some good ones people don't know. Like, yeah, he's in the same class as DK, A.J. Brown, um, Debo Samuel, Hollywood Brown, um, Deontay Johnson of the Steelers, although the drop montage they had of him does not help. That <laughs> boy, is, he can't hold on to the ball. But anyway, where do you, where do you see Terry uh, fallen in, you know, among those great receivers from that class. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, people talk about bias, like it's not bias what I'll say about Terry, but he's the guy I see the most. And he's the only one I, I talk to with any regularity, at least when we were living in a world where we could talk to people, although they make him a regular on our zoom calls. I, I don't know how it is for you. We have two zooms each, each day. We Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we have the standard podium zoom, the coach, the quarterback, the coordinator. Then there's a second zoom, where they bring in just random players, but typically right. Terry McLaurin and Chase Young are staples at this point for all the obvious reasons. Um, and what stands out about McLaurin, he is hyper mature. Um, he, he, he talks like a guy who could be a politician. And I mean that in a positive way, like you talked about communicating. He, he's a, he's a, he's an intellectual guy. And 
that level of maturity comes across him being a leader. They've made him a captain this year as a second year player. One of the post game highlights of the year was I want to say it was the first Dallas game. Uh, Ron Rivera is giving a post game speech and he's asking anybody have anything to say. And McLaurin stepped up. They had they won that game and they think at that point they were only like two and it was only their second win I think. And he was like basically there's something happening here. Believe in this. When we're gonna go, when you go home, when you're away for a couple of days, believe in what's happening here. Keep thinking about this, and, it, and people rallied behind that. And then a couple of days later, he was a captain. Now that's just the sort of the locker room off the field part. On the field part, he's he's been tremendous. I mean, it's amazing when when they first brought him in, they were talking about him as a special teams contributor. But even though they drafted him in the third round, he's gonna make an impact on teams right off the bat. Okay. Well, within days of training camp, that first training camp. It was clear he was something different. His route running is phenomenal. He's got, you know, crazy speed to make plays down the field. The only thing holding him back the last couple of weeks is the defenses are aware that he's the guy to watch. And um, Pittsburgh definitely took him out last week. Neither quarterback was any good. So it was hard for any anybody on offense to get going. They don't have Antonio Gibson. I'm going to guess he doesn't play um, this week based on, you know, kind of what we've heard so far. And, uh, you know, that that makes it more challenging. There is no clear number two receiver at this point. Logan Thomas has been really good at tight end, but, you know, he's not uh, George Kittle or Rob Gronkowski or you know, peak Rob Gronkowski. So teams are able to take McLaurin out to a degree. But that said, he's he's been great. I, I don't know if he's like maybe I put in too much stock in size. Like it's not like Antonio Brown was like a big guy and he was a clear number one. Uh, I think that's maybe the only question on McLaurin. Can he be the number one receiver for a uh, a good passing team, but I think he probably could be because he has all the intangibles, the natural talent, the, the he works really hard. And um, yeah, it's an amazing class. I mean, you look at him compared to Metcalf and AJ Brown, since you mentioned them, and those guys are just big dudes. McLaurin, he'll block though. He, he does everything. I mean, I, I think every coach would be thrilled to have, to have that guy. So, you know, whether he ultimately pans out as good as those guys, just based on they have that size, to be more of a classic number one, he's got all the intangibles to be a team leader and a guy who's going to be a big, you know, big time player for these guys. They just need to get him more help so teams can't just. I'm, I'm imagining Seattle's going to roll coverages his way and do whatever they can to sell Dwayne Haskins or Alex Smith. You go throw it somewhere else. We're not going to let you uh, take him out. Or yeah. We're not going to let you get to get to him. I like Terry, man. He was playing with not good quarterbacks last year and put up numbers. Just put up, put up, put up. I think I had him on my fantasy team last year because I thought he was going to be really good. That's how I was paying attention more than anything. And then I was like, man, DK's good. Hollywood was decent last year, but I was like, man, AJ and Terry and Debo Samuel, I think he's really good too. He's like a running back. Like it's, 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 it's crazy the difference like your offense makes when you just get that right. When you get that, and when you get that stuff wrong, man, like you look at Philly. For them, the they're going to get their GM fired, or the GM is going to get canned probably because they what they didn't take DK or Terry or Justin and, Jefferson. Yeah, and then yeah, then the next year they don't take Justin Jefferson. It's like, yeah, hindsight twenty twenty was like it's your job to get that stuff right. Like the difference that makes to have just one of those dudes. They just took DK, they took Terry. Um, I think they could have taken Debo. Like take these guys instead of what you. JJ Ortega Whiteside, it just makes all the difference in the world. Just one dude, because one dude changes everything uh, in, an, in an offense. Look at what the Titans are doing. It, like, Corey Davis is okay. Um, like, the tight end, John, who's good, but like, it's really like, don't let AJ kill you, and then AJ kills you. So, yeah, no, I, I really I really like Terry. I like that whole class, too. Um, I think that, that class is going to end up 
you'll probably see all three of those dudes take turns being the highest paid receiver in the league. Like it's that it's that legit over there. Yeah, I mean that's what's interesting. I mean he's had Terry McLaurin's had terrible quarterback play more or less his two years in the league. You know, it's been slightly better with Alex Smith, but by and large, it's not like he has a guy that's, you know, a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, not, not a Russell Wilson or anybody like that. And uh, he's still been wildly impressive. So if they can figure out that position, like I said, get him some more help, uh, he should be really, really, um, should be really interesting for sure. Um, before I ask you my last question, uh, there's a couple of basic questions I ask everybody just to uh, get to know everybody a little bit better. Uh, you're, you're a guy on Twitter. Who is somebody on Twitter that doesn't follow you that wish that you wish did? Oh, man. Uh, that's a good question that I wish that I wished followed. <laughs> hmm. Oh, man. I didn't expect that one. <laughs> I would say I would say Ta-Nehisi Coates. Uh, sure. probably. I read a lot of Coates books and articles. I read all the stuff that he does, but um, like, I'm reading The Water Dancer right now, his novel. Um, that would be that would be dope, because especially in a time of, like, now everyone's talking about, like, police brutality. Now, something that I've talked about for a while. It's like my homies and books I've read about it and stuff like that. Um, we've used, like, two of his books for the men's book club that I'm in. Um, so that would be really tight to just kind of pick his brain. Because he's another effective communicator as well. He's a little bit long-winded. Jesus Christ. If anyone's read a Coates book. Um, I recommend We Were Eight Years in Power or Between the World and Me. I think those are both on, like, Obama's reading list. Really good stuff. Uh, yeah, that would be tight. Just have someone's, like, to bounce um, stuff off of and just really assess the world. Because he's a really good thinker. And I think those make really good writers. Um, it's not just, like, like, what we do, we're not just recapping games and stuff like that. People are asking us to like develop a thought and articulate said thought about a person or a game or a team or whatever. And he's really good at that. I know it's not football, but that would be tight. Or Russell Wilson, just so I could say Russell Wilson follows me. Uh, it's, it's always good when the, when the best player on, on your team uh, does that. Ap, ap, absolutely. Um, who's your all-time uh, favorite athlete? Uh, another good question. Uh, I feel like it changes because I was so young. I don't have anyone I'm like wedded to from like my childhood. I was a Sonics fan, but they left when I was 15. Um, I would have to say, honestly, I would say probably it's a tie. I'd probably go somewhere between like Allen Iverson and and Kaepernick. And the Kaepernick one's pretty obvious just because of what he's done. Kaepernick stood up for black people in a way that, like, we haven't seen in decades. And it really kick-started a lot of, like, what we're seeing uh, in the world, not just in America. And he did it with, with everything to lose, too. Like, everyone who's come after him doesn't have the same to lose. Like, he was the first one to go over the hill and be like, oh, man, they shooting, right? And then come back and tell everyone that, they, you know, the other side of the hill had guns. Like, that takes courage. You know, if you go over there after he says they're shooting, well, now you can bring a shield, right? Like, he, he just had to go, stick his neck out there. Um, and he stayed pretty consistent with the, with the message. I think that was really important, too. He was willing, you know, to die on that hill, you know, to keep the analogy going in a way that you just don't always see. Let's see guys send a tweet or something like that or a post and walk it back or not want to take any questions on it. Like Kaepernick was like, yo, I'm very clear in this thing. I want this to change now. 
you know, he said cops, he said cops, he said there's people killing people who are getting paid leave for it. And then everyone debated what he was protesting. It's like, no, he said it. It's right there. It's one sentence. Um, I thought that was really, really important. Like, it was probably one of the most impactful athletes of my lifetime. I'm 28, so <clears throat> Colin's probably going to go down as probably the most impactful athlete of my of my generation. There's going to be some other people. I don't know if Tiger's in my generation or Serena. I don't know. but like Or LeBron. I guess he's in my generation, too. But, like, Colin's, um, Colin's uh, willingness to stand up for black people was very, very important. And then I got Iverson, too, because, like I said, my age, so... In 2001 is kind of when I start remembering how like actual sports memories. So like Allen Iverson's like uh, Laker performance in like Game One in the finals. Like I remember pretty vividly. Like yo, that dude he's short because I was really short in high school and stuff. Or like as a kid, I'm still short now. But that he's short. He kind of looks like me. He dresses like me. He talks like me. His hair's like mine. And people don't understand how important that stuff is to see someone being themselves and it being okay, right? Like you see, yeah. like the, how guys have to like conform or speak a certain way um, when they're in, like in front of a camera or dress a certain way. Like nah, like I said, I don't. I'm I'm rebellious when it comes to uniform. Like Alan Iverson, like, I'll show up to in a fur coat, do rag, chains, whatever. Not because I'm like a caricature of myself, because I'm me. This is what I do. So I've all. He was the first person that I got. A whiff of who did that and then we've seen other people like that too i think marshawn lynch uh is very similar it's like naturally a non-conformist uh but in a really authentic uh, authentic way i appreciate people like that because it empowers people um you know just naturally people just can feel comfortable being themselves when they see marshawn lynch being himself or alan iverson being himself um i think that's really powerful well this is a uh, you know this is georgetown territory i remember i grew up at georgetown Fan, so I, I watched Iverson on that level, and definitely one of my career highlights was interviewing him once, sort of randomly at a Georgetown event. And um, yeah, here, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, oh, here we go. Him with all the cheerleaders. Yeah, I see him. Oh, is that a Kango? Oh man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I'm. I'm uh, I, I think Alan Iverson definitely. Uh, I mean, both both apps were, but Iverson for sure in this part of the uh, uh, part of the country. Uh, last, last sort of random question, then I'll ask you the real one. Uh, <laughs> this is definitely random. Based on a hobby or a habit, what's a Hall of Fame that you qualify for? Mine, just to get as you as you think mine was. I qual- I, I, I'm a frequent uh, a visitor of to Seven Eleven, so I'm a first ballot Hall of Famer at uh, at Seven Eleven. Uh man, I was gonna say cause Hall of Fame is really tough. I would say like a a purchaser of expensive shoes, but like then I see people like PJ Tucker or like uh, I just seen so much shoe collection on Instagram. Those guys are just the DJ Khaled. Those guys just right, that's a that's a that's another that's another level. But uh, that, yeah. that's a that's a that's like a you know like on a pound for pound basis. If you take out the paycheck, yeah, like it, could, yeah. it could be it could be a you know if we have like an analytics version of this, you know. <laughs> Yeah, wow. relative to adjusted for income, <laughs> right? For for sure, I I would say like that's just you have a go-to pair of shoes. Like you're, you 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 can, the house is on fire. You got to take one out. Man, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm in an apartment. I live in apartments, and across the way, the the apartments across from me caught on fire. It was pretty bad. It was like in the middle of the night. I was watching it burn because it was in a safe spot. But I was like, if this does, if it spreads, 
like I'm gonna have to do, I'm gonna have to make some choices. And I had some, I had a lot of time to think about it. It never spread, but I was like, man, I just want to take all of my shoes. Like I just need my laptop and my shoes. Like I didn't want anything else, but I was like, which ones do I pick? So I legitimately had like that. Yeah. Which one did you take in a fire? This was like three months ago. Um, but I think my, my Concord 11s, I'm a big Jordan guy, but I just like expensive. I bought $300 shoes like two weeks ago. Um, and I was like, I, I, I almost bought some $250 ones on Saturday. Like, that's just my, my thing. Like if, if adjusted for income, if we talk about buying expensive shoes, like that's, I almost bought some $900 shoes at the Super Bowl in 2019. Like I didn't, but geez. I'd just be afraid to wear them if I did it. Cause I guess immediately you're going to scuff them up and then I'll be like, oh my God, like that would be, a, that, that feels like to me, like that would be problematic. Yeah, no, it is. I have shoes I haven't brought out of the box just because it rains a lot in Seattle and I know that, yeah, it, even if it's not that other person's fault, like if you step on my shoes, you are enemy number one now, even if it's not your fault I, because of how much they cost. Oh, yeah. This is like, like I am wearing a car note on my it, foot right now. You it, know? In some, in, depending on the, ju- the jury, you might be able to uh, get away with either temporary insanity or you would be justifiable, uh, you know, justifiable crime based on whatever whatever happened if somebody uh did that to you you know i i would i would understand completely <laughs> yeah that, that would that would probably be the one and if there's another one i'd probably say like watcher of rap battles uh i watch a ton of rap battles um if there's anyone listening to this that's a fan of like smack or url tv they know exactly what i'm talking about i've been watching rap battles since i was in like high school and it is insane how just like addicted i am to the the sport because it's another level of communicating too like you have to tell the other guy he's not as good as he thinks he is, or he's not as fly. His girl's not as pretty. His cool, his car isn't as cool. His rhymes aren't as good, and you just have to memorize it. They because they memorize it beforehand, and you have to get the timing right and the antics, and you have to adjust for the crowd going crazy. So you have to repeat your lines, and you can't choke. And there's thousands of people there, and it's so 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 good. And it's not like a rap song where you can like you do the same song every show. If I got a battle in Houston on the third. I can't use them same rhymes if I go to Battle in Atlanta on the seventh. Like I just gotta just have some new stuff. So I, if I'm not watching sports, I'm probably watching rap battles on YouTube, and it's like a really unhealthy addiction. But I love it. I, I have no, uh, no no feel for that sport, but I would uh, based on having seen Eight Mile, I would just pull the Eminem move and just make fun of myself so the other guy. Uh couldn't and just take take make him uh you know t- take that out of his arsenal and yeah see, and that's strategy too like again it's communicate like i'm i know what you're going to do so i'm going to destroy that part of it to, like all that is just it's in, it's incredible it's incredible that those guys do it on the fly uh too like make fun of like you have all these rhymes built up and then you see that he's got some horns <laughs> on that are fake so now you build all of these things here or he said something about you in his round so you start your round off with a rebuttal off the top of your head um and those are some of the most clever guys. Um, you could teach like an English class based on the way they bend metaphors and similes and and make analogies and stuff like that. It's it's really an art form. It's super dope. There's some athletes that are into it um, too. I think Julio Jones is like a fan of rap battles. Like there's there's Kevin Durant's a huge fan. Kevin Durant, fun fact, since he's from DC, um, Kevin Durant is really good friends with a battle rapper from New Jersey. They did a song together. Kevin Durant can rap. Is that right? Oh, dang. I got to find the name of it because uh, it, it, it's, it's Kevin Durant and Sue Surf. T-S-U Surf. S-U-R-F. Uh, so you guys Google that. 
you'll find it. I, I think it's called Want It, maybe. Like, I want it. It's. I really heard Kevin Durant rap. Like, that. <laughs> that's how much Kevin Durant's a, rap, a battle rap fan. He ended up doing a verse uh, with a guy. Nice. Well, good. Uh, I'm sure he's got, based on his uh, way he talks sometimes and has the fake uh, Twitter accounts, I'm sure he's got some things to get off his chest. So that's probably a good way to... Uh, Good way to do it at times. Um, oh, for sure. All right, here, here's the real last question, and then we'll let you get out of here. Um, I, I was part of the um, – I, I helped the NBA folks this year do a uh, NBA agent uh, anonymous survey, and one of the questions we posed was just simply LeBron James' thoughts. Didn't want to didn't want to influence the jury, just let them do whatever they want to say. So similar vein to you, Russell Wilson, thoughts. Oh, okay, Russ. Um Wow. Russ. Russ is a very complicated dude to understand um, because there's some nuance there. So Russell is basically if a press release was a human, right? But press releases are like a form of manipulation, right? Like you you are like wording things a certain way to get across a message and you are shaping how you would whoever your audience is you are shaping how you want that audience to perceive you or your team or whatever right like it is scripted in a way to like control the narrative right and that's kind of how russell behaves everything is done to control a narrative Um, it can be a control of his situation and i think narrative control is something that athletes you see more of them trying to get in front of Sure. Or at least more of them starting podcasts while they're while they're currently in their field of play, which is different than like just getting a broadcast job, right? Or getting on TV. They're like actively doing podcast. Russ does one every Tuesday. Right? Like you see, I think Cameron Jordan has one. Um, Aaron Rodgers goes on that one with uh, I think McAfee every right. week. Like there's just you know Richard Sherman does one with Collinsworth. So the goal is to control the narrative, right? Whatever your narrative is, and Russ got in front of that early. And it can come off as inauthentic um, because of the nature of like, we know a press release wasn't just someone's thoughts, right? We know they, someone was paid to write that uh, for the most part. And so he can come across that way. But when you really, 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 really study Russ, that actually is who he is. You know, he became, as like a kid, they would practice press conferences, right? When he was like six or seven. You know, like he, he's been groomed to be that. So for him, it is not a front. Like that, that human press release thing is actually who he is, even though if who he is, is like something that's designed to be inauthentic. It's very, it's very weird. I'm not even sure if that makes a ton of sense, but yeah, he, no. it's, it's very, very, very complex. Cause if you watch Russ, like everything he does, like how he markets his social media to his podcast, to how he markets himself as a family man, as a, a, a philanthropist, as just an overall saver of the world. All of that is designed a certain way. How he says, go Hawks, after every press conference, no matter what. Like, that's, it's all branding, right? Like, you know, brand, branding is manipulation as well. But he's been trained at such a young age that that legitimately is how he defaults, too. It's not even like a, like a front. It's very... It's very fascinating. It's like watching a programming come to life, like legitimately be developed over time. Um, 
it's almost like the I'm a big fan of like Christopher Nolan movies. So like um, Inception is one of my favorites. Sure. And in the movie Inception, most people know that if you plot the idea deep enough in someone's brain, it grows and that becomes their reality. Right, that's like the theme of the of the movie, and it's it, you almost see it with Russ. Like if you tell a six year old that someone's always watching, someone's always watching. Make sure you're always on, because someone's gonna be always watching. Well, when they turn thirty two, they're gonna behave like someone's always watching, whether someone is or not, because you've programmed them to believe that. And that's kind of how Russell uh, is. I think one of the best profiles ever written on him is one by our Jason Jenks of the Athletic. I think the title is Why Russell Behaves Like Someone's Always Watching. Um, and it's it's really a fascinating look into him. Like, there's plenty of other things that are interesting about Russell that I'm probably going to write about, but that particular thing is very, very, very complex, very nuanced, very, like, it's pretty, it's very layered, and it's very hard to explain. Like, Russell probably doesn't even understand it as well as he'd like to. But the more you study him now, like, now that I've said that, now that you'll see him, it'll make more sense. Like, oh, is he, because people ask me, is he really like that? It's like, I don't freaking know. Uh, if you followed me on Twitter, maybe I'd know. But <laughs> then you get you start to see him, be around him some more. I'm like, no, that kind of is him. A little dorky, a little corny, you know, really does plan on saving the world. Like, all of these things are his default setting. It's it's I've never been around a person like that, um, where the default natural setting is to be something that is inherently perceived as inauthentic. Like, that is deep <laughs> when you think about it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's like the main thing that comes to mind with Russ for me. Um, no, and I, and I, and I like that answer because from the, from the, from a far away, that is sort of how it comes across, but because he wins and does things at a high level, he can kind of get away with it. When RG3 was here, he had some of those same kind of traits and everybody loved all things RG3, but when things started to go South, everything did begin to feel very inauthentic. Um, he had all these sayings that he tried to put out there and after a while it just became like, I don't think we're buying this, man. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think this is gonna work. And now he's viewed a very different way. But yeah, when you win, I mean, this is on a very different level. We talked before about coaches who communicate. Obviously, Bill Belichick is a great leader, but you know, he does things in a very certain way that if they weren't winning, he could easily be the Matt Patricia type. Right? People are like, dude, this is this is a disaster. But because he's got the uh, the rings and the wins behind him, it's viewed in, in a different way. So yeah, I mean, Russ. It, it, it is it comes across that way so I really like the way you uh, you, you, you phrase that he that he lives like somebody's uh, somebody's always watching him um, hey man I really enjoyed this that was, that was fun definitely appreciate it uh, go, go follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Dugar go read him on the athletic uh, and uh, you know we'll, we'll, we've got a game to uh, to watch this week I didn't ask you about Quentin Dunbar honestly I meant to sort of forgot it's fine we don't we don't uh, you know we'll, 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 we'll hopefully we'll talk in the offseason maybe there's something to discuss there uh at that point but i I really appreciate it man hope we can talk again all right thanks for having me man the podcast title is very dope by the way (laughs) earlier i put it together i was like man that's that's fire i like that (laughs) i appreciate that thanks man all right man you take care wow that was that was a lot of fun big thanks to uh mike sean dugar and al galdi for their time as always thanks to you guys for listening I really appreciate the support of the podcast and uh, follow, and and supporting me over at the Athletic, of course. Uh, by the way, I, we mentioned um, Mike's uh, piece that uh, was was considered by our editors one of the best of the year. You can read that and a whole bunch more that's open on the Athletic. Um, 
you can go check out everything that's up on there. And you know, if you're not already a subscriber, obviously we'd love to have you on board. Now, of course, if you do subscribe, you're going to click on one of my articles because that helps my cause. Just be honest, right? What, 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 you know, help me help you, right? <laughs> keep me employed. I can keep talking about the Washington football team, the Washington Wizards, and whatnot. I guess I should mention while I'm here, I did Fred Katz's podcast, The uh, Wizards After Dark, this week as well. So you can find that uh, over on uh, The Athletic or follow Fred on Twitter. But we don't need to promote his podcast now. We're talking about this podcast. Appreciate you guys. That's it for now. Big game this weekend. The Washington football team, can they make it five in a row against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks? Look, needless to say, I think this is a big, uh, a, 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 a tall, a, a, a tall, ta- tall task. I think this is no disrespect to an undefeated Pittsburgh team who had some issues. And granted, Washington, as Al Galdi mentioned before, lost Gibson in that game. But with, with the way Seattle's defense is playing and Russell Wilson, this does feel like I'm not. I think we've already shown that the Washington football team is a lot better than they were and is actually pretty decent. But I think this will really give us a sense of kind of where they are. And look, the Giants beat Seattle just a couple weeks ago. This was their only loss in the last four. So it's definitely uh, they they can be beat. And it'll be it'll take Washington's best effort probably to get that done even at home. All right, that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See you.